0: 5 People Who Survive the Unthinkable Life is unpredictable, and while many of us live each day thinking it'll be the same as the last, sometimes unexpected things can happen. The people on this list should serve as cautionary tales. These are 5 people who survive the unthinkable. Number 5. Vesna Vulovic On January 25, 1972, Vesna Vulovic headed out to work as a flight attendant. Jet Flight 367 was flying from Stockholm to Belgrade with stopovers in Copenhagen and Zagreb. Vesna wasn't even scheduled to fly out, but apparently the staff confused her for another attendant with the same first name, but she didn't mind. After all... She had never been to Denmark and was excited to see the city. The flight left Stockholm at 1.30pm and landed in Copenhagen an hour later. Vesna, along with her crewmates, noticed a man who seemed annoyed when getting off the plane and he never reboarded. By 315 they had taken off again and everything was going smoothly until 4 o'clock when an unexpected explosion tore through the compartment of the DC-9 tearing it in half. The plane was flying at 33,000 feet and when it happened, most of the passengers and crews were likely sucked out due to the pressure and probably died from the freezing temperatures. Vesna managed to survive because she was wedged inside a broken fuselage and pinned in by a food cart as the plane descended. For several terrifying seconds, she fell, eventually smashing into trees and the snow below. A local villager in the area named Bruno, who was a former medic, was the first to arrive on the scene of the crash. He heard Vesna screaming out for help and found her among the wreckage. Her turquoise uniform was now completely covered in blood, and she suffered a fractured skull and broken legs, but amazingly, she somehow survived. Later on it was discovered the plane had exploded because of a briefcase bomb and Croatian nationalists were blamed for the attack. Vesna's story has gained her acclaim all throughout the world. The Guinness Book of World Records cites her as having the longest freefall without a parachute at 33,333 feet. She managed to make a full recovery, and a year later went back to work for Yugoslav Airlines, only this time at an office job safe on the ground. Similar to the plot of Unbreakable, out of the 28 people on board the plane that day, incredibly, she was the sole survivor. Number 4. Fren Salak The now 85-year-old Croatian music teacher has had both bad luck and good luck surrounded most his life, depending on how you look at it. His incredible survival stories began in 1962 while he was traveling on a train from Sarajevo to Dubrovnik. The train slid from the rails and into an ice-cold river. He had broke his arm and suffered mild hypothermia, but while he survived, 17 others did not. The following year he took his first and only airplane ride when the door of the plane burst open midair. He was sucked out and found by emergency workers on the ground lying unconscious on top of a haystack. He was admitted to the hospital with only minor injuries. The plane ultimately crashed because of the broken door, killing 19 people on board. In 1966, he was on a bus that skidded off the road and into a river. He managed to escape with only cuts and bruises on his body while four others died. Then in 1970, Not finding much luck with public transportation, he opted to drive his own car, but it seems that wouldn't stop the bad luck from happening. His car caught on fire, and he barely managed to get out and run before it was engulfed in flames and then blew up. In 1973, another car he was driving suffered a broken fuel pump, which doused the engine with hot oil, sending fire through the air vents. The resulting fire singed Salak's hair, but otherwise he was fine. And his horrible luck didn't stop there, because in 1995 he was hit by a bus, but didn't suffer any major injuries. That following year, he missed a collision with a United Nations truck when he swerved and ended up smashing into a guardrail. The rail gave way, but amazingly he managed to jump out of his car and grab a tree before it plummeted 300 feet into a gorge. Despite all the terrible incidents he's had to endure in his life, he finally got a break in 2003 when he won nearly $800,000 in the lottery just two days before his birthday. With the money, he bought two houses and a boat. However, in 2010, he decided he would give his remaining money to relatives after deciding he would live a frugal lifestyle instead. He kept only enough for his hip surgery and for building a shrine to the Virgin Mary because, as he puts it, He has everything he needs to survive. Number 3 John Coulter Though part of the famous Lewis and Clark expedition, John Coulter is the first person of European descent to ever explore what is now known as Yellowstone National Park. Coulter joined the Lewis and Clark expedition in 1803 and was considered one of the best scouts and trappers in the group. As they were on their way back home to St. Louis, Missouri in 1806, they encountered trappers heading to Yellowstone River. Coulter didn't want to return back to civilization just yet and asked for a discharge from the expedition to join these trappers. He was allowed, but the trip, however, didn't last long and soon disbanded, and Coulter would continue on to explore various places on his own. The following year, while on his way back to Missouri again, Poulter met Manuel Lisa with his group of trappers called the Missouri Fur Company. He was hired to become their guide to the Rocky Mountains, and Lisa eventually sent him to make contact with the Crow Indians to establish the possibility of trade deals. With just a backpack weighing 35 pounds, a rifle and ammunition, John set out. He crossed the Wind River Mountains and Teton Range and managed to see various geothermal pools and geysers. Although his exact route is unknown, it's likely he was the first white person to see Jackson Hole and even Yellowstone Lake. What's even more interesting with this exploration is that he did it all in the dead of winter. After making contact with the Indians, he traveled back to Fort Raymond where Manuel was waiting, arriving there in March or April of 1808. That same year, he teamed up with fellow explorer John Potts, The two would trap various animals around Montana, but they were attacked by the very unfriendly Blackfoot Indians. They managed to fight him off that time, but the same thing happened again and this time Potts was killed during one of the attacks and Coulter was captured. He was stripped completely naked and to his surprise set free and told to run, at which point he realized they were going to hunt him down. Coulter was a fast runner and managed to elude most of the Indians, except for one. He ended up facing this man and killed him with his own weapon. Coulter then took the man's blanket and hid under a pile of logs by the river until he successfully evaded the rest of the Indians. For 11 days, he walked back to Fort Raymond, severely depleted and very close to death. He was eventually nursed back to health, and by 1810, he joined fellow trappers in the Three Forks of the Missouri River. After a day of gathering pelts, he returned to their fort, only to find his two partners were killed by the Blackfoots. This finally convinced him that it was time to return to civilization, and by then he had been away for six years, living his life and exploring. After he returned to Missouri, he married and at some point got in touch with his old commander William Clark and told of his adventures. From here, Clark created the maps of the region, and even though they were filled with discrepancies, these were the most comprehensive maps of the region for close to 75 years. Eventually, Coulter enlisted for the army during the War of 1812. He did not die on the battlefield, but of jaundice in May of that year. But Coulter's legacy lives on. His personal adventures and encounters has earned him the nickname as the first mountain man to ever be. Number two, the Robertson family. It was January 27, 1971, when the Robertson family left the comforts of their home in England and boarded their 43 foot wooden schooner named the Lucette. The family was made up of Dougal Robertson his wife Lynn, their eldest son Douglas, their daughter Anne and twins Sandy and Neil. For the next year and a half the family pursued their dream voyage by sailing across the Atlantic and making pit stops at ports around the Caribbean. Anna bowed out of the voyage when they reached the Bahamas and opted to stay there instead. So the group went on without her and sailed towards the Panama Canal and from there they picked up a young man named Robin Williams. Williams was an inexperienced sailor and student who joined them hoping to get to the Galapagos Islands. Everything was going well, but on June 15, 1972, midway into their voyage, trouble found them. The Lucette was struck by a pod of killer whales close to the Galapagos. According to Douglas, the whole boat shook and he turned to find three killer whales chasing them. All they heard was the sound of the wood splintering like a tree being snapped in two. In a panic, the group scrambled onto their life raft and solid-hulled dinghy to escape the sinking Lucette. Within minutes, their boat had been downed and sank to the bottom of the ocean. All of them were now on a leaky raft. For provisions, they only managed to bring a few cans of water, a bag of onions, a tin of biscuits, some fruit, and bread. This all lasted them for six days, and after that they captured turtles and drank their blood for liquid sustenance. They floated towards the doldrums, hoping there would be rainwater for them there. Dougal thought that it would be best to head for the center of the Pacific so they could capture the countercurrent that would send them back to America. On day 16, the raft finally broke, and they had to scramble onto their nine-foot dinghy. The family tried to keep their spirits up. Although the dinghy managed to keep them afloat, it was flimsy, and they were always in danger of being taken over by a wave. By day 23, it rained so hard they thought it was over. Then, at the encouragement of their parents, they bailed hard to make sure the dinghy didn't drown. After 38 whole days, the family had managed to store enough food and water that they decided they would start rowing to speed up the process. Luckily, that same day, they were spotted by a Japanese fishing trawler, the Tokamura-2. They were all so dehydrated by then that their tongues were swollen and they could barely speak. Dougal had been sunk before by the Japanese during a war in Sri Lanka. And he was quoted as saying that, if for no other reason than to forgive the Japanese for what happened, the trip was worth it. After their rescue, the family's lives changed. Dougal and Lynn divorced while he bought another boat from the advance he got from the publisher and lived on the Mediterranean. Lynn and the family lived on a farm bought from the book sales of Survive the Savage Sea based on their survival story. Dougal died of cancer at the age of 67, with Lynn nursing him for the last three years of his life. She too passed away from cancer at age 75. Their eldest, Douglas, became an accountant. He has also written his side of the story in a book titled The Last Voyage of the Lucette. He adds that in the end, His father felt nothing but remorse and guilt for taking them on that trip. Number 1 Beck Weathers For Texan pathologist Beck Weathers, mountain climbing was something very important to him. He had turned to climbing to fight off depression and while he began small, soon he found himself obsessed with the dream of conquering the world's tallest mountain. In May of 1996, he became one of eight people to ascend Everest, guided by mountaineering legend Rob Hall. Before going on the climb, Beck had undergone eye surgery, and during the ascent, he actually suffered temporary blindness as a side effect. On May 10th, the day that they were to reach the summit, Rob found out about the condition and ordered Beck to head back to Camp 4. He told him to wait for him so they could descend together but as destiny would have it, Hall would never come back down. Engulfed by a storm along with fellow climber Doug Hansen, the two ran into trouble. Hansen became too weak to continue on, and Hall would not leave him alone. As a result, the two perished on that mountain. Beck sat patiently waiting while various climbers on their way down offered him help, but he refused. Eventually hearing about the troubles his guide experienced, he decided to head down with another guide named Michael Groom and several other weary climbers. On their descent, a blizzard surged and everyone became disoriented. They could barely see anything and likened it to being swished around inside a milk bottle. It would take hours until there was a break in the storm and by this time Beck and the climbers were severely exhausted. He had lost one of his gloves, and his hand had completely frozen. Some climbers forged ahead to get help, while Beck, along with three other men and a woman, stayed behind and waited for rescue. Beck was suffering from hypoxia and hypothermia, and before anyone could reach them, he stood up in the middle of the night and disappeared. The following day, two Sherpas, a fellow climber and Dr. Stuart Hutchinson, were able to find him but he was so close to death and there was nothing they could do to save him, so they decided to leave him instead of attempting to take him down. Beck spent the day in below-freezing temperatures huddled behind a snow embankment while news was sent to his family that he had died. But then, around 4 p.m., he somehow woke up from his hypothermic coma. While he was disoriented, he was lucid enough to realize his situation and began to climb down, alone using nothing but willpower. When he stumbled through Camp 4, the men thought they were seeing a ghost. His face was all black, and again everyone thought he was surely going to die, so they put him in a tent alone so he could do just that. He was unable to eat, could barely move, and couldn't even cover himself with the sleeping bags he was given. But the next day, Beck was still alive. He was taken to a lower camp where he was then rescued via helicopter. His arm had to be amputated, as were the five fingers on his left hand, parts of his feet and nose. All in all, Beck was one of the few who survived that fateful climb. Of the eight clients and three guides that ascended Everest, eight had died trying to conquer it. So there were five people who survived the unthinkable. Life is filled with challenges and these people prove that even in the most extreme conditions, humans can be a lot stronger than you might ever think. If you enjoyed watching this, then please subscribe to our channel because every Saturday night we'll have a new video for you to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.